In her very fine book called Accidental Saints, the Lutheran minister Nadia Bowles Weber writes, there is a reason Mary is everywhere. I've seen her image all over the world, in cafes in Istanbul, on student backpacks in Scotland, in a market stall in Jakarta. But I don't think, Bowles Weber says, her image is everywhere because she is a reminder to be obedient. And I don't think it has to do with social revolution. Images of Mary remind us of God's favor. Mary is what it looks like to believe that we already are who God says we are. We already are who God says we are. Mary is everywhere. At a staff lunch, we shared our favorite Christmas carols, angels we have heard on high and in the bleak midwinter tied for first place. And the latter carol includes these words, but his mother only in her maiden bliss, maiden bliss. Other carols portray her as kind and mild and gentle. Is that our image? Docile, compliant, obedient? Obedient perhaps, but for me at least, it's hardly a passive obedience. Another song popular these days, Mary Did You Know? I like that song, a resident of our house said, but of course she knew, which is pretty good theology, I think. Let's look at the story we just shared. Already the angel Gabriel has come to Mary. Mary is perplexed and afraid, of course, but she is fully engaged in all that's going on. Not that it takes me to say that to make it true. She asks, how? Gabriel explains. And she says, yes. I remember sermon after sermon last year connecting Mary's story and the Me Too movement, which is a conversation that continues to demand our attention. At our Advent retreat just a couple of weeks ago, we posed the question, what if Mary said no? And it's a great question, because it emphasizes that Mary is an active participant in the story exercising what is called agency. In fact, you might have seen a New Yorker cartoon just this week with Mary talking to the angel Gabriel. She says to the angel, I'm really excited about this opportunity, but I'm hoping there's room to negotiate the title. <laughs> what about rise to the occasion, Mary, or cool under pressure, Mary? Mary said yes. But it was not a passive, compliant yes. It was an active yes. And after saying yes, she goes to see her cousin Elizabeth to share her news. And Elizabeth blesses her and lets her know that she too is expecting there is good news all around. And then this. What we just read together, what we just heard, what we will sing in a moment... It is called often the Magnificat because of that term, magnifies. My 
soul, Mary says, makes God even bigger than what God is, magnifies God. It's sometimes called Mary's song because it appears in that form in the original language and has been treated musically across the centuries by so many composers. Here we spent the last two Advent Sundays considering John the Baptist. His message, our, our common calling to be prophets and messengers, magnifying, as it were, this inextricable link between faith and politics. And I believe that Mary, this young woman, finding herself in a most unexpected circumstance, doubles down on John's vision. As she herself, along with all of the other titles we give her, embodies God's prophetic call so profoundly. And her song makes the case. We often stop at the first few lines. Mary magnifies God. I'm blessed, she says. God is holy. And then we move on. But, but we can't stop there. Because next is where Mary's song becomes Mary's manifesto. Mary's prophetic, revolutionary creed. God is merciful, she says. And because God is merciful, God scatters the proud, and God brings down the powerful from their thrones, and God lifts up the lowly. The hungry are filled. But the rich, the rich are sent away. This is as prophetic as John the Baptist ever got, as any prophet ever was. And we take great risk if we lose these words because of who said them or when we hear them. D.L. Mayfield writes, Mary in our tradition was a vehicle for Jesus, a holy womb, a good and compliant and obedient girl. Much later in life, Mayfield writes, I was shocked to discover that Mary wasn't quiet, nor was she what I would call meek and mild. In the Magnificat, Mayfield writes, Mary comes across less like a scared and obedient 15-year-old and more like a rebel intent on reorienting unjust systems. Mayfield reminds us that the priest and martyr Oscar Romero drew a comparison between Mary and the poor and powerless in his community. And that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor and theologian who was executed by the Nazis, Bonhoeffer called the Magnificat the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary hymn ever sung. Mayfield concludes Mary, no longer just a silent member of the Nativity, or a holy womb for God, or an obedient and compliant girl, has become the focal point for how I and many other Christians celebrate Christmas while living in the reality of waiting for true justice to come. Mayfield says she has helped me understand the true magnificence of how much God cares about our political, economic, and social realities. Theologian Rustine follows a similar line of thought. 
The church often spiritualizes the text, Dean says, which really means divorcing the otherwise obvious challenge from any practical reality. Now we often hear these words as poetry or as a kind of a metaphor or maybe even a vision of how things ought to be or will be someday, but Dean reminds us that Mary's is a song of social justice, an actual call to challenge the social structure, the economic narrative, the political reality. Our tendency is to love it, quote it, sing it, but not let it affect our personal comfort or challenge the status quo of church or society. And Dean says, Mary's song can be made into a pleasing little Christmas carol, a sentimental melody set to the way things have always been, the way things will be in the by and by. But maybe, Dean says, maybe, the song really is a subversive message of social change, a vision for a new world order. My friend Jill Duffield, who is the editor of the Presbyterian Outlook, writes that women blessed by God tend toward the bold and audacious, the brave and risk-taking. When God calls upon them to participate in the salvation of their people, they do not just acquiesce, they take charge. Mary's soul magnifies the Lord, Duffield writes, as she sings about the coming great reversal where God scatters the proud and brings down the mighty. There's a project, an effort called the SALT Project. It has a great website, and on that website this week, there is this. Mary sings a revolutionary song about God's revolutionary love. And the next step is having the courage to lift our voices and sing God's love is remaking the world. I wonder. I wonder what would it look like to hear Mary's song in a new way, in this way. What would it look like to sing those words ourselves, to take her song and to make it our song, to understand the ways that Mary's story is our story, What would it look like for us to take our place in a long parade of messengers and prophets, Isaiah and Malachi and John the Baptist, John Calvin, Martin Luther King, here in this community, Susan B. Anthony and Frederick Douglass, and yes, Mary, absolutely Mary, especially Mary. Not only the mother of Jesus, but a prophet and messenger in her own right, with a voice and a song. What would it look like to re-envision our Christmas? Not to stop doing so much what we have done, though a little de-emphasis on the consumerism wouldn't hurt any of us, but to make Christmas even more profound as we take seriously what Mary takes seriously. What would it look like if when every time we sing her name in a familiar carol, we expand our vision of who she was. If Mary is concerned about the relationship between the poor and powerful, between the hungry and the wealthy, 
then can our Christmas journey not lead us anywhere but to that very same place? This is not so much about tactics today, but vision. Yet can we not imagine what this would look like in terms of those who hunger and are without home in our city, or for all those impacted by racism and sexism and poverty and any and every form of injustice. This is about recalibrating our Christmas vision based on Mary's prophetic witness and her radical faithfulness. Mary said yes, and it feels like a fierce yes to me. The invitation from the messengers to us will be different. Our story is unique, to be sure. But our yes is needed now, right now, just as hers was needed then. How might our words this Christmas, how might the story of our lives magnify God? God's concern for the hungry and poor, God's revolutionary love, Mary's story is our story. Mary's song is our song, a song of hope and joy, a song of love and peace. May God be magnified. May God's name be praised by the story of our lives. And may the world and each of us and all those you love experience a blessed Christmas. Amen.